Standby playback. And now, live, real red meat radio. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly, provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Lars. republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on Conspiracy Theory Thursday. I'm glad to get your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Finally, at long last, the U.S. Department of Justice has released its report on the terrible shooting that happened almost two years ago, May of 2022, in Uvalde, Texas. Now, that thing was a mess all the way through. The police failed miserably. The school police failed miserably. Now, I think all of us knew that the day the shooting happened. We knew it from the response or the lack of response. We knew it from the fact that there were people who were supposed to be on the scene who were not to deal with it. And we knew it, most importantly, for one lesson that everybody in policing that I know will tell you, police learned in uh, at the Columbine shooting in, uh, in uh, Littleton, Colorado. Because when that shooting went down, the police at that time, at Columbine, made the decision to handle it the way they usually did. There was a school cop on the scene. He exchanged gunfire, but then he quickly backed off. And then the police mustered outside, and they made sure that they had everything lined up, and then they entered the school. And when they did that, many more kids had died than would have died if they took the response that all police agencies I've run into in the last 20 or 30 years since that happened uh, have said, this is the way you do it. If you have an active shooter in any circumstance, a school, a shopping mall, or anything else, if the shooting is still an active shooting, the shooter is still killing people, is still firing the gun, or if there's more than one, of course, if there's more than one, you treat it as an active shooter. That's not what they did at Uvalde. And that's what the Department of Justice determined. This report is damning. It actually says, the report says the police should have immediately confronted the gunman. They failed to do so. There were officers who went in. The bad guy shot back at them, and they retreated. They should not have. And they specifically mentioned Pete Arandondo, who is the former Uvalde school police chief, saying that he was improperly treated or he improperly treated the situation as what they call a barricaded subject situation, which is entirely different. In one case, you have an active shooter who is still shooting people. You go straight to the shooter, you eliminate the threat, and then you care for those people who are wounded, uh, and, and you try to save as many lives as you can. But you go straight to the threat, and you eliminate the threat. The report says that police improperly waited for the SWAT team to show up. I mean, that was the Columbine High School mistake before they gained entry to the two classrooms. They also waited on a request for classroom keys and breaching equipment that might have not even been necessary to enter the rooms. You remember that in the weeks and months after the Uvalde shooting almost two years ago, we found out that some of the doors that they waited for keys, they waited for breaching equipment, the doors were already open. And the shooter, the killer, 
I don't like calling him a shooter. I like calling him a killer. That's what he did. Salvador Ramos killed 19 children and two teacher teachers before the police finally neutralized him. It's good that they did this report. It's good that they did the full-on investigation. And now the question that needs to be asked, I think, of every single police agency in America, I am on most days a full and total supporter of the police, as long as they follow their own procedures and as long as they obey the laws. But you need to ask your police departments, you say, if you have an active shooter, will you go to the source of the threat and eliminate the threat and do it as quickly as you possibly can? You need to make sure that we don't end up with another Uvalde. And all these plans by the Democrats saying, oh, if we just ban law-abiding citizens from buying guns, that'll stop the problem. Salvador Ramos was not a law-abiding citizen. It would not have stopped him. Nothing that is proposed by the Democrats would have stopped Salvador Ramos. What would have stopped him on that day was the police actually doing the job the way they should have known to do it, should have known it for decades since Columbine High School. Because after Columbine, every police agency I encountered as a reporter, they all said, we used to do it that way. We never do it that way anymore. We always do it this way. We go even, and police officers will tell you, they said it might seem hard-hearted, but they say if we enter a scene with an active shooter, we may have to run right past people who are bleeding on the ground, victims. But if we have to do that, we go to the source of the threat, we eliminate the threat, and then we come back to care for those who are wounded, and we try to save lives. But we have to eliminate the threat first. That's what's become very, very clear in this report that came out from the Department of Justice. Glad to be with you on a Thursday. If you want to join the best conversation and talk journalism, it's always right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And consider our poll on X, used to call the, uh, the Twitter poll. Should citizens who buy Bibles, rifles, or sporting goods end up on a terrorist watch list? And you're going to think I'm kidding or exaggerating. I am not. And I'll source this back to Congressman Jim Jordan. Jordan is the chair of the House Judiciary Committee. He's found out that the government, the federal government in this case, Department of Justice, FBI, etc., has gone out to American banks and said to them, we want to track financial purchases that are made by American citizens. People who are not considered to be even a suspect in the violation of a law. So in other words, you've got people who aren't even suspected of committing a crime. And they say to the banks, we want to tag any kind of purchases by these people because it might show that they are violent extremists. And without any due process at all, without even notifying the person that they might be considered a criminal, they want the banks to tell the federal government, has this person been buying Bibles? Has this, I'm not kidding, Bibles. I mean, that goes so far past anything that is reasonable, I can't even imagine it. And then, and then what they wanted was they wanted to be able to tag purchases made at sporting goods stores, you know, like Bass Pro Shops and others. So if you're buying Bibles, if you're buying ammunition or other supplies at a sporting goods store, and I've certainly done both. Tina and I buy Bibles. In fact, we love the Geneva Bible. Not so crazy about the King James for good reason. Uh, but the Geneva Bible is our favorite. 
And we buy enough so that when we run into somebody who expresses some, you know, interest in the Geneva Bible and the significant differences between that and the King James, that we say, here, here's a brand new copy. Now, we've been buying Bibles enough. I'm sure I'm on one of those terrorist watch lists. And do I also buy guns and ammunition? Absolutely, I do. Buy them cheap and bury them deep. It's a great philosophy to live by. But in this case, the fact that the federal government is going out and suggesting that anybody who buys Bibles or sporting goods or rifles or pistols ought to end up as a suspected future violent extremist is so un-American, I can't imagine it. Today's X-Poll is found at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. And it's always brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Join a great conservative group I've been a member of for years at amac.us or 888-262-2006. AMAC is better, better for you and better for America. Glad to be with you on a Conspiracy Theory Thursday. Coming up, Bidenomics faces a critical test as inflation spikes higher than expected. Is the promise of taming inflation becoming a... Elon Musk sums up America's government. And what I see all over the place is people who care about looking good while doing evil. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I want you to think about this. Two and a half years have gone by since the summer of 2021 when reporters went to Joe Biden in his first six months as president and they said, hey, we're seeing inflation, inflation in gasoline, diesel, groceries and everything else. And uh, President Biden said confidently, oh, this is just temporary. It'll go away in a while. Well, so far it hasn't gone away. And I thought we'd talk about that and how Bidenomics is now up against a critical test as inflation is not trending downward anymore. It is trending upward, apparently. Akash Chogali joins me now, who's vice president of Americans for Prosperity. Akash, it's good to have you back on the program. And since we haven't talked to you since then, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well, Lars. It's good to be back with you. So tell me this, what's your read on this, that we've seen it a little bit of an edge up, but the trend line is no longer down, it's up for inflation. And I think Joe Biden was hoping, uh, crossing his fingers, hoping that it would it would continue on some kind of downward trend from the highs he pushed it to about a year and a half ago. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, you, you alluded to the fact that they kept telling us it was, quote, transitory, transitory, transitory. It turned out it wasn't transitory at all. Finally, more than two years later, when it finally started to show signs of slowing down, they said, oh, look, see, it's transitory. Um, but obviously, you know, that was going to that was going to stop at some point. Turns out that wasn't permanent either. It ticked back up. Overall, prices have risen more than 17 percent, 17.6 percent. Prices are up since President Biden took office. And the important thing, Lars, isn't just the fact that prices have continued to rise at such a pa- uh, rapid clip. But why? Well, you and I both know we've talked about it. The reason prices are rising is trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars in reckless spending that this administration, with the help of members of both parties, dumped yep. into the economy. And that's why the economy and inflation is a number one concern of voters as we head into this presidential election. See, and I don't mind tagging the Republicans for this, too, because they, they seem to have turned kind of spineless. They always make great promises. And then when they finally get back to Capitol Hill, I'm talking primarily about senators and reps. But... 
the easy grab for all of them, and you tell me if this wouldn't make some difference, you've got a lot of money out there that was shoveled out by Congress, but only shoveled out on paper. The money actually didn't get spent. And Congress could, if it chose to, say all that extra cash is is threatening to push inflation higher or at least keep it high. Uh, so why don't we just, you know, claw all that stuff back and take it off the books and, and not add as much to the massive debt we're up against? Why don't they just do that? That's exactly right. That is low hanging fruit. And what you're referring to, Lars, is what we call unspent funds. So that's money that, as you mentioned, Congress has authorized and appropriated, you know, towards COVID relief or whatever the case might be, but the money hasn't actually been spent yet, which means Congress rescinding it or taking it back. There's no reasonable way to claim, oh, people are being hurt. These are cuts to programs people rely on. None of that is true because nobody is relying on that money because it hasn't been spent yet. There is hundreds of billions of dollars in unspent COVID relief funds. Congress can claw back overnight if they wanted to in any of these government funding deals or whatever the case might be. Um, they, they haven't chosen to do so. And it's, it's pretty pathetic because when you look at the fact that if they won't even claw back unspent funds, how do we expect them to do anything about the real drivers of our debt and deficits? What you and I have talked about is this mandatory spending. It's entitlement programs that are responsible for 97% of our deficits going forward. There's no chance, no matter how dedicated the speaker is and the president and the rest of Congress, if they won't tackle the unspent funds, there's no chance they're going to tackle those major drivers of deficits anytime soon either. Well, let me ask you about a, a potential driver of more inflation that the president is trying to do administratively, not even through Congress, and that is he still wants to try to pay off. A whole, and I know he got away with about $130 billion of debt loan forgiveness uh, for people with college loans, but he was blocked by the Supreme Court on a lot of the rest of it, but he seems to want to keep doing that. That's effectively the same thing as, as, as shoveling out cash, isn't it? When you tell a young man or woman, you, you had 20000 in debt, now you don't. So don't worry about making those payments. And the, the natural response of you know, most young people might be, oh, if I've got a few hundred extra bucks a month, I think I'll go buy a new car or I'll move to a nicer apartment. So it causes spending if Joe Biden gets away with this. Are the Republicans being sufficiently, um, I guess, vociferous about trying to block that and say, don't let the president do this? They are. This is one issue the Republicans in Congress have been very strong on. Um, Chairwoman Virginia Fox, she's the head of the Education Committee in Congress. She's been great on this, as have others challenging in court. There are two things worth noting here, Lars. One, obviously, is unconstitutional and it's inflationary. But it's not even like that would actually reduce the overall debt burden or even the student debt burden over, you know, a five, ten year window. And there is a reason for that. One, those same people are going to take that money and just take on new debt, as you said. That, there was an yep. analysis done. Like you said, they're going to buy cars and homes and things like that. But they're going to take on new debt. The other is we've done nothing to address the overall cost of college and that problem that, you know, it's up you know, significantly more than inflation over the last 20, 30 years. Overall student debt will be right back where it is today, five, six, seven years from now. Um, but that's the place where Republicans actually just this week rolled out a plan to reduce the cost of higher education without more federal subsidies at the place where they deserve credit. Virginia Fox, the Speaker, Mike Johnson, they've been great on not only pushing back on the administration, but doing what they should be doing 
in every other issue area, which is rolling out alternative visions of their own. That's what we need to see more of from Republicans. I'm talking to Akash Chogli, who's vice president of Americans for Prosperity. Now, Akash, I got a million crazy ideas I want to ask you about, but I want to know from you, what are the other easy things that they could do right now to make a big difference? Because I understand that correcting inflation might actually be a benefit to Joe Biden, but his approval ratings are so low. I'm not really worried about making him look good. I want America to survive. So what are the other things we ought to be doing? Yeah, I think there are two low-hanging fruit opportunities on the table um, and one thing they shouldn't do, which is frankly also on the table. The first is um, securing the border, right? There's, there's discussion of an immigration deal on the table. Senator James Lankford, who's a very conservative senator from Oklahoma, he's negotiating. Um, the House obviously passed a border bill that is not going to pass muster with the Senate or with the president. But there's negotiations going on. Some people are saying we don't want to give President Biden a win on border security uh, I think we need to be in the frame of reference that you're in, which is that this problem has gotten so bad. We can't be playing politics with this issue anymore. Our entire immigration system is broken. Let's secure the border, fix the immigration system, doing that on a bipartisan basis. Um, I think would go a long way. And, and frankly, I don't know that it would help President Biden's reelection prospects all that much anyway. Um, the other is actually on the debt. So the new speaker, Mike Johnson, when he became speaker, he said he wanted to put together a commission on the national debt. Now, your listeners are probably rolling their eyes thinking, hey, here's another useless congressional commission that's going to study something and not get anything done. This one could actually have more teeth to it in that whatever the commission decides as a path forward, good, bad, ugly, would actually be required to be voted on in both chambers of Congress. Now, it might fail. It might not be any good. But it would at least be the first time they force a constructive conversation around addressing the national debt. Um, I think that's a healthy step forward. So I think those are two things that Congress could do. What they shouldn't do is shut down the government in one of these continuing resolution fights, government funding fights that we're going to be in throughout the spring. These government shutdowns never achieve policy wins, and Republicans always end up taking the blame. We should not shoot ourselves in the foot by shutting down the government. No, I like I like those, Akash. Let me try one crazy idea. And maybe it's too small potatoes, but every single one of the social welfare programs, Medicaid, TANF, uh, food stamps or SNAP, all the rest of that garbage, they all have work requirements built into them. But a lot of the blue states have said, we'll waive the requirements. You know, why do we say you have to at least try to get a job or get a job to qualify for this stuff? It's in the law. The states get to waive it. If we were to say, no, we want work requirements and we want them enforced, and you turn to people who are on the dole into people who are earning a check and paying taxes, wouldn't that have some positive effect? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's something Congress should be fighting for. Frankly, I think that's something a Republican president could do. I mean, the, the president's administration is the one that administers these programs um, through the Department of Health and Human Services or whatever the case might be. Um, but yes, absolutely. The, the reason I don't think of that as a, as a budget battle, Lars, is I think that is that a moral thing, right? And I think conservatives Agreed. are great on this issue, right? It's, that's the path to actually lifting up our fellow Americans, pulling people out of poverty, back into the workforce. That's the argument we have to be making. It's going to save money, yes, and that's great. But that's the place where, as you mentioned, we have got to go on offense and really speak to the dignity of every American to earn their own way. That's what the American there, dream is. There Democrats is dignity in earning a paycheck, that. for sure. Akash Chogli, Vice President of Americans for Prosperity. Akash, thanks very much. Wait till you hear what the illegal alien mass is doing in New York City. The it's Lars Larson Show.
Kids. Truth be told, Lars has welcomed naysayers for 27 years, but occasionally... Who is this person who speaks to me as though I needed his advice? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's uh, it's my pleasure to be with you, and I really am glad to get your phone calls at 866-HEY-LARS. In a moment, I want to tell you about the absolutely dire consequences for people in New York City as that city begins to divert billions of dollars of its budget to caring for illegal aliens who have no business being in America at all and slashing the budgets to the actual services that are supposed to be offered to the taxpayers of New York City. Let me get to that in a moment. First, I want to grab a couple of calls. If you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism, it's here every night at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Let's go first to Dave. Hey, Dave, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Hey, thanks for the for taking the call. Uh, well, in general, I, we've pretty much all know about all the catastrophes under Biden, uh, how pretty much if you would have just sat on his hands, we'd be in a much better place across the world and at home, uh, going back to some Trump policies. So I thought I would touch on, with Trump as the nominee, which I expect him to be, uh, I thought I'd hit on who I think a vice presidential nominee uh, would be for him. And while I like Christy Nome and Lake and, uh, you know, there are some other Stefanik, uh, good women, out there, I think choosing a woman is a really good choice for him. He already went the conservative, you know, kind of straight-laced uh, male. Mike Pence, and it didn't yeah, work out Pence. so well, did it? No, it didn't. And, and at the time, I guess, to strengthen his conservatism, so to speak, maybe that was okay. But now there's, you have a record that you can just look at. You don't need that. And we need to get different kinds of voters. That's the problem with Christie, uh, with Noam and Lake is that they're going to basically get the same type of voter other than the female component. So my idea, which is a little off the wall from some respects, but I really like Tulsi Gabbard uh, for a couple reasons. One, she's got the same female poll. Two, she's got a military component because she's yep. a military yep. member. Three, um, Americans like to look at somebody who, you know, we're a forgiving country type in general, uh, I guess unless you're a conservative, but uh, you're, we're generally considered a, conservative, a, a forgiving country. And people really like when somebody can say, hey, you know what, I realize I was wrong. And she has come out strongly to show that, you know what, I tried and tried to give these guys a chance, but I could not associate myself with that Democratic Party that has gone insane. And so she can pull that forward. And there are other disen, you know, disenfranchised Democrats out there. Well, may, who maybe and, aren't and by the way, good. Dave, throw in there independent voters, because remember, America's kind of split up into three camps. I know there are people who wish for three parties. That, that would be a disaster. Four, yeah. five, six, twelve, like uh, Israel's got a couple of dozen political parties. It's a train wreck most of the time because of that. But but if you say, but independent voters in the middle, they're not Democrats, they're not Republicans, they don't really identify with either side, that's okay. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I identify as a Republican, but I'm angry at the party about 80% of the time. But <laughs> But at least you would you'd say, well, she can appeal to those independents in the middle. And I don't think you can win the presidency without the independent vote. If you had just Republicans or just Democrats without the independents, you're lost. But exactly. it'll be interesting to see who he chooses. Uh, but do you think he'd go that far to say, let's pull a Tulsi Gabbard on board? 
I would love to see it, and that's why I'd like to throw it out there, and I'd like to see more people talk about it, because, you know, he's out there listening. He's got people that he's good friends with that listen. And I'd just like some people to say, hey, because of these reasons, think about this person, because it's not like you're picking AOC or something. You know, you're not picking a crazy Democrat. That would never work. You're picking somebody who's shown herself to be independent-minded, as you're talking about independence, because she's common sense enough to say, you know what, I, I just can't do this anymore. I mean, you even have people like Jamie Dimon, who, you know, who, who is a, I, a, I a, saw a Democrat. that comment he made the other day, where exactly. he's effectively admitting that Trump was right. And Dimon, according to people I know who know Dimon, he, he doesn't yeah. like Trump at all. And apparently no. that goes back before the presidency. And you think, well, but if he's a smart business person, does he finally admit, well, I was wrong? Exactly. And that's why I think that for all those reasons, I don't think it should be considered such a crazy idea to have Tulsi Gabbard be a really strong candidate to throw in there. And she's very well-spoken. She's articulate. She's quick, almost kind of like a Vivek, not quite as strong as him. But she's, she just would, would well-round him so much. And then you got Vivek out there, you know, campaigning with all the, well, the way he's saw, able to talk you to You saw what Trump said about Vivek Ramaswamy, right, who's been on this show a few times. We'll probably get him back. But yeah. he said... Uh, you know, he's going to be working for us for a long time. Now, does that mean a cabinet post? Does it mean an ambassadorship? You know, whatever. If he's got smart people on board, but does it strike you? Those are some of the things I wish Republicans were talking about more. Joe Biden's cabinet seems to be full of real dunderheads. I mean, just complete, full-on idiots. You got Lloyd Austin, who doesn't even know his job, puts the country at risk. You got Pete Buttigieg, who doesn't seem to, you know, know front from back on an airplane. You know, yep. he's he's been a disaster. Um, you know, some of the lesser cabinet secretaries uh, are not as visible. But can you can you point to one that even looks like a decent? administrator of whatever their job is right now among the the cabinet secretary no. positions there's no, not one where you say wow he he or she is doing a great job exactly that's another strong complaint against biden it shows a lack of leadership a true leader looks for the best-minded people out there you want smart intelligent people out there even if you disagree on some things you want somebody who can bring an intelligent argument to your to your face you can weigh those decisions when you're making a decision. And he has people around there. He's more interested in DEI. Or do they meet these little check marks to make it look good? Um, guess what? That's not what a leader does. Uh, and really, lastly, Lars, I'd just like to throw out, can you, um, my thought on this, this election being cut, you know, cut off, you have a lot of people out there saying everybody should cave in, it should just be Trump, and, every, and Haley should drop out. I, mean, I think there's a component that makes it good for this to go on for a few more weeks, oh, and that I, is, no, I no, love no, having no. to turn on CNN and MSNBC and watch them be forced to report on some, even if they don't air all of what Trump says, they're forced to say Trump wins dominantly here, here wins dominantly there. And you get that momentum effect, almost like you get coming out of a state sometimes like Ohio. You know, you go from being fourth in the polling to getting second. That momentum can carry. And I think the momentum showing him continually hitting all these states and CNN and MSNBC forced to say it would be great. No, and, and let me tell you another element to it, Dave. I've always, when people said, remember when he had 17 or 18 candidates, you know, in yep. 16, and, and you say, well, that's bad. No, no, no. We should thin it down beforehand. No, because when you have a lot of candidates running and each one of them brings signature issues to the table, then you yep. get the public talking about that. Whereas when it, if it was just Joe and Don right now, you know, okay, the Democrats yeah. are going to put Joe up and, and Don Trump will be the, my guy, the nominee, you know, because I, I make no bones. I'm a Trump partisan all day long and twice on Sunday. Yep. But you get things talked about 
that would not even you, people would say, well, I, I never thought about that. Why is that a problem? And and or why why would that be a good solution for that? You get that effect by having a lot of candidates out there. And the fact that, as we pointed out earlier this week, the fact that the you know, like MSNBC and CNN are literally saying we will not carry Donald Trump's remarks on the air. Yep. Look, at the, at the risk of, of, say, a Nikki Haley or a Ron DeSantis, they should have, I mean, when somebody else in talk radio comes up with something smart, I think my audience appreciates it if I say, hey, this isn't my idea. This is, you know, so-and-so's idea, uh, but I'll, I'll give them credit. Your yep. audience appreciates that rather than you saying, yeah, I thought of this great idea and half your audience saying, no, you didn't. That came from somebody else. I've never... Now, what would happen if Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, along with the other messages they have, say, and the news media should not be saying we won't carry the remarks or yeah. show the picture because they're showing this pretty early on. Yep. So imagine if we get, you know, we get to fall and, and what, what's CNN going to do? Say, well, Trump's now the nominee, Joe Biden or whoever they replace him with, maybe even that idiot Whitmer from Michigan. Uh, they're talking about her as the sub for Joe if Joe yeah. gets kicked to the curb. Can you imagine those guys saying, well, we're, we're, we're only going to carry the remarks of Gretchen Whitmer and we're not going to at all carry anything that Donald Trump has to say because he's a liar. For the media to decide that on its own is absolutely nuts. It's a Thursday and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Every day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you want to send an email, it's talk at LarsLarson.com. If you want to vote in our, uh, t uh, we used to call it the Twitter poll, now it's the X poll. All you got to do is uh, head on over to uh, X. Uh, I, it still seems odd to call it X, but whatever. Um, the question today, should citizens who buy Bibles, rifles, or sporting goods end up on the terrorist watch list? Jim Jordan pointing out the fact that the federal government agencies, DO, DOJ and FBI, have been asking banks to tag people who have uh, financial transactions involving words like MAGA or Trump, or if they've been buying Bibles, or if they've been going to the sporting goods store and buying uh, pistols or rifles or slingshots or something else. That's how crazy it is. Should they end up on the terror watch list for that? No. Uh, brought to you by AMAC. Join a great conservative group at amac.us or 888-262-2006. And now our friend Seat Motley from Last Government joins me. Seat, I hope you haven't bought any Bibles or rifles recently because you're going to be on that list as well. I like, I'd like to offer a poll for next week. Okay. Should the Tell people me. who put you on the terrorist list for buying a Bible end up on the terror watch list? And I say the I, answer is yes. I love it. I love, but they see that one answers itself. No, that's a great question. But I wish, I wish what they could tell us. What I want to know is when somebody engages in that kind of, in just obscene overreach. Hey, all these people buying Bibles. I mean, it's like they were acting on, uh, remember the remarks that Barack Obama made, uh, at some fundraiser? He didn't do it in front of the public for a reason. And he said, you know, these conservatives who, the bitter clingers who cling to their cling to guns their, and yeah, their, cling to their Bibles. Guns and, yeah. Yeah, and, and you think, okay, Religion, it was an un-American yeah. idea and then made into federal policy. How, when are we going to find the people who actually signed off on that, anybody close to that decision, above it, below it, or in it, and say, you've all just lost your jobs, you're all persona non grata in federal employment? But that well, never happened. That, that, that's, 
Well, that's because it's a feature, not a bug. Um, that's what that's what they're intending to do. Look, one of the I always refer to Donald Trump as shaking the political etch a sketch, right? I mean, it's a yep. completely new paradigm. Um, you know, I listen to lifelong leftist Robert Kennedy, and I agree with eighty percent of what he says. It's not left right; it's globalist versus nationalist, and U.S. specific. It's D.C. versus the U.S. That's what we're dealing with here. And Trump comes in, and the U.S. government is a $6 trillion a year great white shark. How many remora are swimming behind this? And every one of them, left, right, or center, of the creatures in D.C., they're all going to respond negatively to someone like Trump who says, I want to reduce this. I don't care how long you've been a concern. Look. There's a, I, I don't want to out them, so but let me just say there's a big conservative player with a big conservative organization, allegedly conservative, I'd say, because they run a, a bi-weekly tech meeting, so the, you know, allegedly conservative tech meeting, and I, in the middle of December, I got an invitation to their happy hour to be held at Meta Facebook headquarters in D.C. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry. That's everybody. That's D.C. versus the U.S. Yep. And and so uh, so when with some when a group of unelected bureaucrats decide to put you on a terror, to watch you watch you buy a Bible and then put you on a terror watch list, that's not a bug. That's a feature. And we need to find those people, out them, and and make them, you know, basically pariahs in society. You were a lawyer. You're not working. That's what I'm saying. You got to do it. But that's what I'm saying. You're not gonna. You're not gonna out them, because that's what everybody in D.C. wants. You're not gonna. The the reason that Ed Snowden happens, the reason that Julian Assange happens, is because the institutional government, the D.C. government. No one in there is going to out it. So it takes some guy to, to, to on the outside to get the information and, and release it. Could you th- think of the people who are drawn to a D.C. government bureaucrat job in the year 2023-2024? Is anyone with that mentality going to whistleblow on those people? Nope. They, they want the system no. to keep, it's they, the uniparty, they want the system to go on, and they're willing to say, well, you know, we, we, we are officially in control for this cycle, and then they'll be in control for a cycle. But as long as one of the two parties controls things, and things stay the same, then everybody makes big bucks, and the American public are none the wiser, and the American public are none the better. And, and that's, that's a bad result for us. We end up serving the government instead of the other way around. Do you, you, you remember the Harlem Globetrotters? This is an old analogy. Oh, I do. It's very apt. <laughs> and the Washington the, Generals. For the younger listeners, right. For the younger listeners, I apologize, but go look it up because it's a very apt description. For the Washington Generals, they were a traveling basketball team, the Harlem Globetrotters. They were what everybody paid to see. Were the Washington Generals, who were their traveling road opponent, that's what they always played, were their Washington Generals supposed to win? No. Nope. They were supposed to lose and make the, the Harlem Globetrotters look good. Well, that's the job of D.C. conservative things. They aren't supposed to win. They're supposed to lose and make the, the left look good. And that's what, that get, with that mentality, that's where you end up with the center-right tech organization having their happy hour at Facebook. 
Hey, before we let you go, in the last less than a minute, how is the government trying to shrink yep. the Internet instead of expand it? I want you to get in a quick hit. Well, well yeah, we, 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 we've got Title II um, Internet. Uh, the, 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 the Internet under Title II. It's 1934 telephone law. It's 1887 railroad law. Turning the web into a binary thing, which is what those laws do, obviously shrinks the Internet. Meanwhile, the FCC that's doing this, the Federal Commission, is supposed to be cajoling Congress to reauthorize the FCC to get more spectrum from the government. The spectrum is the wireless basically yep. used to do cell phones and all the Internet. And they're supposed to get the government to clear the spectrum and auction it to the private sector. So instead of growing the, helping grow the Internet, by getting more spectrum out to the private sector, they're shrinking it with Title II regulation. And to what end? Why well, was that good for anybody? Uh, you know, I, I get the same response to why do we need Title II that I get to, okay, we wake up tomorrow and Russia runs Ukraine. How does that affect the U.S.? There isn't an answer to either question. There's no reason to, to do Title II. Uh, you know, the Internet is a free, free market ban to do, thanks to the fact that it, it is lightly regulated by the government. And it, it's almost like, okay, that's an outlier for the rest of the heavy regulated economy. It's making us look bad, so we have to rein it in, too. And meantime, Meta is out there running ads for human trafficking, and nobody seems to care. That's Seton Motley, the president of Less Government. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Check out my Instagram feed and tell Alexa to play The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. When it comes to health, we're all... Okay, it's a nice ride. It's going to happen. Stand by playback. I know. Lars. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on Conspiracy Theory Thursday. And I thought we'd start with Satan, but let me get to that in just a moment. Satan in Nevada at a county commission meeting in Washoe County. Just that as a teaser. And then we'll get to the details in a moment. Glad to have you with me on a Thursday. If you want to join what we call, what I call, the best conversation in talk journalism, it's here every night. At 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you happen to be a naysayer and you disagree with my point of view, more than a quarter century ago, we set time aside and said, you know what? Naysayers are going to go to the head of the line if you've got the guts to do it. Now, come with your argument put together, if you don't mind, and be prepared to answer a few of my questions in aid of an objection. But let me tell you what's coming up, first of all. Does allowing citizens to carry concealed weapons without a permit lead to a decrease in violence? 
We're going to talk about that, and I'm going to give you real numbers so that you can be armed with that information. Was Hunter Biden truly in the dark about the people buying his crazy art, or is there a little bit more to tell in that story? Have Democrats expanded their scrutiny beyond the NRA's Second Amendment? to targeting their freedom of speech and take just a moment to cast a vote in my X poll. We used to call it Twitter. Now it's X. You'll find it at Lars Larson show and at LarsLarson.com. brought to you by AMAC. Uh, should citizens who buy Bibles, rifles or sporting goods end up on a terror watch list? And just so you know, I'm not just taking this out of my hat. Uh, Congressman Jim Jordan has pointed out that he, and by the way, he sits in the position of the House Judiciary Committee chair. He says that the federal government, mostly the DOJ and the FBI, have been asking American banks to flag as potential criminals any transactions involving the terms MAGA, Make America Great Again, or Trump. They are also looking at citizens who are suspected of no criminal activity whatsoever, but citizens who, like me, buy Bibles, like me, buy pistols and rifles, like me, shop at sporting goods stores. Literally, the federal government telling the banks, we want to know who's buying these suspicious things like firearms, sporting goods, slingshots, and Bibles. Yes, that's what our federal government has been doing. And do I have any great confidence that we're going to be able to out these people, maybe get them fired and blacklisted from every form of employment for the rest of their lives? Because that's what they truly deserve. Should citizens who buy Bibles, rifles, or sporting goods end up on the terror watch list? I'd answer that one, no. You can answer our X poll any way you like on X at Lars Larson Show, on my website at LarsLarson.com, and always brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. I joined it. You should, too. AMAC.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better. Better for you and better for America. A shout-out to our friends in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, where you can find great talk radio all day on WFMM. That's FM 97.3 in Hattiesburg. And you can find my show there as well. Glad to have you with me. I want to play something for you, and then I want to uh, get to some of your phone calls. Um, down at the Washoe County Commission meeting, I want you to listen to this. I've covered city councils and county commissions in part of my career. They routinely begin with an invocation. And play the first soundbite welcomed as you find out who was offered the opportunity to offer up the invocation at the meeting of the Washoe County Commission, an ordinarily conservative kind of county commission in Nevada near Reno. Take a listen. Thank you for letting us here. My name is Jason. I am an organizer and founder of Reno Satanic, and I am here to give the invocation today. Unbelievable. Now, I understand they say, well, but if we invite anybody of any faith, then we have to open up the doors for the Satanists. I don't think so. But here's the way he ended that invocation. I'm not going to play the whole thing for you, but listen to the way Jason Miller wrapped it up. And the spirit of the unconquerable sun, the bringer of light and knowledge, we say, Shemham Farash, hail Satan. Okay. And somebody in the back of the room mentioned Jesus Christ, which would be my faith. This is the kind of craziness we're up against, that somehow they believe that, well, you know, under the First Amendment, you can have any faith you want, including believing or worshiping Satan. And that's happening 
Not New York City, not Los Angeles, not in Chicago. It's happening or did happen at the Washoe County Commission meeting where they allowed Satanist Jason Miller to offer the invocation. Unbelievable. Let me go first to uh, Nathan in Virginia. And if you want to join the conversation, it's 866-439-5277. Nathan, what's on your mind? Hey, that's messed up. Uh, Lord, it is messed that just shows up. You, that just shows you where we're at. And my question, since it's Conspiracy Thursday, Thursday, is what happens if it's all rigged, everything's rigged, and if they have this 30-year plan that it's, it's already been enacted and it's, it's moving along its natural course, and what would, would a new world order or a new era that's beginning, that they're saying that the World Economic Trade Forum or whatever that is that they're talking about. WEF, Listen the World this. Economic Forum, which is not going the way they planned, by the way. But go ahead. Would that be a good thing, are you well, asking? Well, I keep hearing this new era, this new, this new introduction since technology has gone adv- advanced beyond what we can even understand, and the people who control it can manipulate anything that they want to at any point in time, including our image, by the way, with AI. Oh, yeah. um, and and like like um, you know papers for schooling something as simple as that. What happens if there's a plan? Would would the common man be better or worse with a one world economy, worse. one world monetary worse. system, and one worse. world government? Worse. And I, I'm going to tell you why, Nathan. Because if you're saying you want the United States and every other country to give up all of its sovereignty and say we're no longer countries, we're just part of this big world order. And the elites, the smart folks and the rich folks, will tell all of us how it gets run. I don't want that. I want what we have now. We have countries, and in a lot of ways, one of the things Ben Franklin envisioned for the United States with, at that time, 13 colonies that became 13 states, was he called, he called it laboratories of democracy. I don't think the idea was unique to Franklin, but among the founders, they said, well, it means that Nevada or Virginia can do it one way. And at the time, Pennsylvania can do it a different way. And the citizens of those states can say, we think they're doing whatever it is, taxing, regulation, whatever it is that the government is doing, We can do it better if we do it that way. Or they tried that and it didn't work out well. If you have one world order, a new world order, that says the elites, the smart guys, are all going to run the entire world and they're all going to tell us what to do, freedoms and liberties go away. And Americans should understand that. This is the freest country on earth. There is no other place on this planet, even our uh, you know, cultural cousins in Canada and in Great Britain, they don't have the kind of freedoms we have. They don't have freedom of speech uh, to any great extent. They certainly don't have Second Amendment freedoms. And a lot of the other freedoms that we take for granted, and probably to our detriment that we take them for granted, don't exist at all in much of the rest of the world. Do you really think that a new world order would be willing to tolerate citizens who are capable of throwing off a tyrannical government the way the founders of this country said all of us should be capable of doing? They're not going to tolerate that at all. The elites want to run the place, and it's going to be bad for average folks. you got the Lars Larson Show.
something on The Lars Larson Show? Check out posted interviews and podcasts at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'll get back to your calls in a moment at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Know that if you're a naysayer and you disagree with yours truly, we'll put you right to the head of the line. Just be ready to answer a couple of questions as well. And vote in our X poll used to be called the Twitter poll. I'm tempted before we get to the topic we plan to talk to Bob Barr about to ask him about this matter. Bob, welcome back. Lars, thank you. Always great to be with you, and uh, I hope you're doing well weather-wise uh, out there. Oh, it's frozen outside. It's it's freezing rain. It's snow. It's it's everything else. It's the it's snow cop snow apocalypse. I think they call it, but <laughs> it's clearly not global warming. We could use a little bit of that right now. But thanks for your concern. Um, Bob, I want to ask you, our, our X poll used to be called Twitter, but our X poll, we're slowly changing over to the new name, but this has to do with Jim Jordan, you know, uh, the house, Com- house judiciary committee chair saying that they've discovered right. that the DOJ and the FBI were asking American banks to surveil customers who were suspected of no crime whatsoever, but say if they were buying Bibles sporting goods at Bass Pro Shop, uh, or anything like that, or involved in any financial transactions involving terms like MAGA or Trump, that they may be uh, violent extremists, and they're on a, a list to be to be watched. How in the world did we get to this, and how do we stop it? Well, I think in order to really figure out how we got to this, you have to go back several years. I don't know whether you and I have talked about this. I think we might have to when Congress back in, I believe, the uh, 80s, if not the 90s, passed some amendments to federal banking laws that uh, required bank employees at whatever level to send a report into the Treasury Department if they noticed anything that was suspicious in a customer's transactions. And they, in fact, uh, called these reports SARs, or Suspicious Activities Report. So for decades now, we've had uh, banks that are in the business of letting the government know without your knowledge if something uh, appears unusual to them. Mm-hmm. Now what we've seen, is, uh, as you've indicated, is the government taking this very broad and vague power and focusing it on uh, a particular disfavored class or classes of persons. This has to be stopped because it goes nowhere except to a tyrannical federal government. I agree with you. And and as far as suspicious activity, I know that Hunter Biden apparently racked up more than 100 of those suspicious activity reports, and maybe he should. But one of the things I'd ask, even though I could see theoretically how it might catch people who are involved in drug dealing or human trafficking or whatever, um, that it might do that. But do they actually have a track record that says because we get these suspicious activity reports that it actually does end in in catching people who are doing nefarious things? No, quite the opposite. There are millions of these reports that nobody ever looks at or does anything with, typical federal government. However, that does not obviate the fact that the federal government is collecting information and considering a bank customer whether large or small, to be suspicious or engaged in anti-government activity of some sort. 
So with computerized uh, records now, they, they can pull up anybody that they want at any time and concoct some reason to look a little bit further. This reminds me also, uh, as, as you know, I'm uh, very active with the NRA, and we have a case that is currently before the Supreme Court. They'll render a decision later this spring that has to do with a different type of government regulatory abuse, and that is state, in this case, the New York Insurance Commissioner, uh, telling all of those uh, financial entities like banks that do business with the NRA or insurance underwriters that might do business with the NRA, that in New York, uh, that would be considered a risk factor. Uh, so that is a, a clear abuse of government using its regulatory power to go after a disfavored class of persons. So the reach of that case, and we expect to win it, uh, the ACLU has joined us, by the way, uh, will have, I hope, a significant chilling effect on all sorts of government regulatory abuses, such as the one you just uh, mentioned. Well, tell me this, uh, two questions specifically about the NRA and monitoring their activity. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a member of the NRA. I've also quit the NRA at various times because I, I disagreements with, with the leadership. I don't now because you're the new leader uh, and I agree with you. But when they say suspicious activity, the NRA is not a gun. It's a it's a gun rights organization, but it's not a gun manufacturer, uh, nor is it a necessarily a gun dealer, although you might deal in some things where firearms uh, change hands. But you're primarily a, sec- a First Amendment free speech organization that advocates for its members and lobbies Congress. Petitions are leaders for redress of grievances. It's how do you how do you go after a First Amendment organization and say um, have the banks keeping an eye on them because they are a risk factor that they engage in this kind of free speech? What's that about? It's 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 about government uh, using power or individuals in government using power simply to find ways to go after or punish individuals or organizations for either saying something or doing something that those officials don't like. Uh, you've laid out in your question exactly the question that we pose through our lawyers to the Supreme Court. They decided uh, in November last year to take this case. As you know, the court takes only maybe one out of a thousand cases, if that. But they took this case because it raises such an important, far-reaching government abuse issue uh, that hopefully will provide at least some answer to your question, which is there is no way on God's green earth that what these government officials are doing is constitutional. Well, and in fact, Bob, if you accept that because of the free speech activities of the NRA, that they're a risky group to be associated with and that banks should know that, I could make that argument about media. I could make it about newspapers or cable channels. I could say that cable channel occasionally publishes classified documents. It occasionally publishes uh, confidential documents. It occasionally outs things that are in people's privacy. While they're a gigantic risk, they might be sued for invasion of privacy, uh, presenting in a false light. I think that's another lawyer phrase. Uh, defamation, uh, you know, uh, all these things. They, they engage in this stuff on a daily basis. You know, the New York Times published the Pentagon Papers. You know, they do this 
this kind of risky activity all the time, you banks should just think twice about loaning any money to news organizations, you know, like the New York Times or the Washington Post, because they engage in this risky free speech activity all the time. Couldn't I make that same argument if that's the case, if you're allowed to, to question that? You you make it, you just made it, and you know who else made that very same argument to the Supreme Court is the ACLU, which has joined us as co-counsel on this case, because that same argument that, oh, you're a, risk, uh, you're a risky entity because of what you're doing or saying could be applied to virtually any individual, any organization, or any business. Okay, one last quick question, and that is about their seeking out these bank records, whether it's the NRA or my bank records, because I bought some Geneva Bibles recently. I buy a lot of them because I give them to friends and family that I meet, uh, or friends that I meet. Um, how is that not di- directly crossing up with the, my Fourth Amendment protections, which literally reference the papers I have, which these days, I think the electronic version is at my bank or my insurance company? That is exactly true. You know, the, what government is doing is they're violating not only in these issues, not only the First Amendment, not only the Second Amendment, not only the Fifth Amendment in terms of your property rights, not only the, uh, the, the uh, well, the, the right to free speech. Uh, it cuts across the board in so many ways. What these government officials are doing by abusing their regulatory power is undercutting the very basics for the entire Bill of Rights, Lars. When do you become president of NRA? That will be a little bit later in the spring, in May. Well, we're looking forward to it. That's Bob Barr, former member of Congress, was at the CIA, newly uh, elected first vice president of the board, soon to be president of the NRA. And you got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. men and the people who love them. Honestly provocative talk radio. Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Let me share this with you because I think this is really, really significant. You may be aware that out of the 50 states in America, I know the Obama types think it's 58, but it's actually 50. Out of the 50 states in America, the majority of states now recognize what's known as constitutional carry. And what that means is, uh, for example, I live in the state of Washington. Uh, you know, I, they haven't changed the slave owner name yet, and God forbid that they ever do. But I have a carry permit. You have to have a permit from the government to exercise your Second Amendment you know, constitutional rights, uh, your God-given rights protected by the Constitution. I know it sounds crazy. It is crazy. So the majority of American states have now gone to con- constitutional carry so that you don't need to have a permit from the government to exercise your Second Amendment rights. So six of Ohio's eight largest cities saw less gun crime after the state adopted constitutional carry according to a brand-new study published by the Center for Justice Research, which is a partnership between the Ohio uh, Office of Attorney General, that's Dave Yost, and Bowling Green State University. So what they did, in uh, June of 22, Ohio became the 23rd state to allow its citizens to carry a concealed weapon without a permit. The following year, 
crime involving guns. I don't like calling it gun crime. Guns don't commit crimes. People do. But crime involving guns dropped in Ohio's eight largest cities as a whole and in six of the eight individually. Columbus, Ohio, down 12%. Cleveland, down 6%. Toledo, down 18%. Akron, also 18%. Parma, Ohio, down 22%. And Canton, Ohio, down 5%. And I know that those of you who aren't familiar with guns will say, well, why would just changing the law change criminal behavior? And there's a very logical reason it would. If you're a criminal and you go to a place that you know is a gun-free zone. You know, those those are a very tiny percentage of America, but they're where the vast majority of mass shootings take place. And you say, well, why is that? You say, because the criminals don't want to go to a place where any person in that place, you go to a shopping mall where concealed carry is honored instead of being forbidden, any bad guy who says, I'm going to go do harm to human beings, I'm going to take a gun and I'm going to shoot people to show, at a, sh- a shopping mall, has to understand that everybody around him is potentially somebody carrying a gun. And you don't know which or who those people are. Would that tend to retard that kind of behavior? Absolutely it would. In fact, Florida is a great example of this that I remember from years ago. Florida was one of the first states to liberalize its concealed carry laws. And what happened was they had a lot of carjackings. So the Florida legislature said, let's make it easier for people to get concealed carry permits. And as soon as the carjackers knew that they had a a decent chance, you know, better than the lottery ticket, uh, of running into a gun, a, a, a car driver that they they were trying to carjack, that that person would pull out a gun and shoot him dead. That's a great way to dissuade criminals from engaging in criminal activity. You might get shot in the face. Okay, so what happened? Do you know what the the criminals did? They actually started to target their carjackings. They would go near the airports in Florida, and Florida has a lot of airports, a big tourist state, and they would target people driving rental cars. And why is that? Well, if you live in Florida and you fly into the airport, typically you get picked up by your family or friends. But if you're there as a tourist, meaning you're from another country or another part in America, a place in America, you're not likely equipped with a Florida concealed carry permit back then. So what did they know to a fair certainty? Most of the people driving rental cars had flown in. You couldn't fly with a gun on the plane. And even if you retrieved one, you know, to send it through the TSA process, you didn't have a carry permit for Florida. So they knew that most of the people driving the rental cars were not from Florida and didn't have a gun. And they began to carjack people in rental cars. But it showed that the criminals adjusted their behavior. They said, we're not going to take a chance with somebody who's got a carry permit. When you have constitutional carry, like all these states do now, the majority of states, you really push down the criminals. Now, from that to our first naysayer of this hour. Mark, welcome to the program. We love naysayers. Uh, Welcome to the program. Uh, What do you and I disagree about that makes you a naysayer? Hey, Lars. uh, Good to hear from you. I am a naysayer light. Okay. Um, I I live in Washoe County, which effectively is the city of Reno. Um, As you know, the major population center is Reno. Not a lot else in the county. It is by far, and I, I say this from experience, having worked for the city and inside the county for 30 straight years, a left 
wing corrupt organization. There's no nothing more corrupt probably in the United States as far as I'm concerned. So than the Reno government or the Reno city government or county government. And the Washoe County, both of them. I've been involved with both through my uh, job that I had previously, and now, now thank goodness retired. But the uh, Reno, the city of Reno itself, is famous for having taken down the uh, American flag from their standard on a uh, on a day and replaced it with the rainbow flag. Um, so it's it's super left. Is is, here is that Mark what is, explains why the Washoe County Commission would welcome a Satanist to do the invocation? Absolutely, sir. Yeah, they're all about DEI and they're all about uh, you know COVID restrictions and terminating people for not having gotten their shots back when and continuing to push those kind of issues. So yeah. Well, since you're a soft naysayer, let me ask you about something we could do, or I say we people in Washoe County could do. If you wanted to push back against that, is there any way to flood the, uh, I'm sure there's a system for picking who gives the invocations. If you were to flood them with with offers from conservative Christians who say, we want to come and do the invocation, put in a flood of those requests, get in line and start giving them some real conservative messages. Do you think that's at least a soft way of pushing back? It's a possibility. I think you're going to run into a lot of, uh, uh, as with all these, um, you know, blue cities, they're going to try to, you know, avoid allowing that to happen. So they're going to try to, you know, block that. and pick They'll the try and game it. Here. And all we do is game it back. You say, you've got 10 yeah, offers from all these other crazy groups. We'll give you 100 offers from good, solid, conservative Christians. And what you can do for sure is put in public comment. They are required to allow you to speak at public comment for your three minutes. So that would be a way to get a lot of conservatives in the line and and speak. But it is uh, just wanted you to know, pretty pretty non. uh, It's pretty left wing here and pretty corrupt. That's that, and that's pretty sad. But that's true in in a lot of places. Sadly, that the county or the you know there there are areas that you think of as conservative, and I've always thought of Northern Nevada as conservative. I think it's a great place. Uh, but but uh, maybe not so much if you live there. And I appreciate the heads up. Let's go to uh, Jim. Hey, Jim, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Uh, I'm in Reno also. and um, Listening Mark on Wright, KKFT. It has turned, and uh, yeah, it has turned quite liberal here. Um, I, there was two things. First off, I wanted to talk about this FBI stuff you were, you were talking about. Yep. And I want to tell you a quick story, and that is when I was 17, I joined the Navy. I took a test. They said I could do anything I wanted. I, I, I scored real high, and I picked what's called CTI, which stands for Crypto Tech Language, meaning I had to get a top-secret clearance to do that job. Three weeks into boot camp, they pulled me aside. I went into a room. There was a couple of men with scrambled eggs on their hats and a couple of men in suits, and they said, we're sorry. We can't give you a top-secret clearance. This is 1975, by the way. And they said, you can have all these other jobs, but you can't have the one you wanted. So I started looking through the list, and then I looked up, and I said, why can't I get a top-secret clearance? And they said, well, your mother is on a list for being um, an anti-Vietnam activist. My mother walked in peace marches with churches. Fargo Church in Hayward, California, And because of that connection to your mother, you couldn't get a, a clearance. Thank you for the story, Jim. I appreciate it. 
interviews with authors, experts, and a healthy dose of opinion. Find it at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. i got to share something with you. I've said generically over the last, I don't know, six months or so, And when people say, well, how do you get these illegal aliens on airplanes? And how does the Biden administration manage to fly them out to every corner of America? Because that's exactly what the Biden administration has been doing. I mean, in other words, they're transporting illegals to other parts of the country the same way all these liberal mayors are upset at Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis for either busing or flying people to other parts of the country. And the answer is that the TSA, which is a federal agency under Homeland Security that is at the beck and call of the Biden administration, they've said, well, you can just let people get on the planes. And if the Border Patrol has written these illegal aliens a summons or a ticket saying basically you came into the country illegally, you're to show up in court two or three or five years from now, literally, that just use that ticket, that will be your identification. In Tucson, Arizona, they've literally set up a separate desk at the airport. So if you come in and you're an American citizen, you go through the regular TSA process. If you come in and you're an illegal alien, Tucson Airport has actually set up a special separate desk just to deal with the issues of illegal aliens at the airport. Not to stop them, but to facilitate their travel. Well, my friend Todd Starnes at KWAM in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, put this up today. Uh, Somebody got a picture of a sign that the TSA is now putting up at some airports, maybe not all. But it said it announces to travelers, and imagine seeing this as an American citizen. I can imagine what my reaction would be. I don't fly as much as I used to, but I still occasionally take a flight, usually for work. TSA is partnering with CBP to test the use of CBP-1, whatever that is, at certain TSA checkpoints to validate adult non-U.S. citizen travel documentation when the traveler does not otherwise have an acceptable form of ID. I've talked about this generically, but this is where the TSA is actually announcing it to all travelers. If you're an illegal alien, we got a special program for you. How it works, and I'm quoting again from the sign. One, notify the TSA officer that you are a migrant, meaning you're illegally in America. Because if you're an actual green card immigrant to America, you have picture ID, you have your green card, you have a social security number, you have government ID. Number two, the TSA officer will take a photo and then it says in parentheses, optional. Number three, if requested, provide your alien identification number or biographic information. Number four, follow officer instruction. And then get this, the sign goes on to say, Photo capture is voluntary. You may decline to have your photo taken. If you do not wish to have your photo taken, please notify a TSA officer. You must still provide your alien identification number or biographical information to the TSA officer, even if you don't have your photo taken. So you can say, I'm John Jones, and I was born on the 4th of July in uh, Topeka, Kansas. I mean, you can tell them anything you want. The last line says, CBP-1 only verifies the information you previously provided to CBP and will not store your information. Because your information is verified through CBP-1, TSA will also not store your information as part of the process. 
Let me tell you where this becomes a gigantic problem. I have told you before, and when we've gone back to Washington, D.C., and talked to people from various groups that try to police our southern border, and they will tell you that south of the border, they find dozens, hundreds, maybe even thousands of pieces of picture ID that have been thrown away by illegal aliens about to cross our border. And many of those pieces of ID come from places like Cuba or Haiti or other places. And you wonder, why would anybody throw away their picture ID? Well, if you're from Cuba, you may not want to tell the Border Patrol that you're from Cuba. What you want to do is tell the Border Patrol a story and say, I'm from El Salvador or Guatemala uh, or Honduras. You tell them a lie. You say, I'm from that country, and you've made up your backstory. So you say, oh, I was born, and you name the city, and you name the date. You tell them a fake name, a fake date of birth, and a fake country. Now, CBP puts this in their files. Then when you show up at the airport and the TSA says, who are you? Do you have an uh, alien identification number? No. I don't have that. Well, then give us your biographical information. So you tell them your fake name and your fake DOB and your fake hometown, and they look and they say, look, there in the records of the CBP is your biographical information. That means you must be who you said you are. That means you could walk in and say, my name is Mickey Mouse. I was born on Main Street in Honduras, and my date of birth is, uh, you know, like I said, 4th of July. And they say, wow. Your your information matches what CBP had. What does it prove? It proves absolutely nothing. And that's happening right now. It also means that if you're an American citizen or a green card holder and you're listening to this show, if you go to the airport and you say to the TSA, I'd like to get on my flight, but I don't have my picture ID, they're going to tell, tell you, go home or get it quick. Otherwise, you're not getting on the plane. If you're an illegal alien, you come to the airport, you say, I don't have picture ID. I don't have an alien number. I don't have anything except my made-up name and date of birth and hometown and home country. And they'll say, by all means, sir, take a seat on the airplane. Let's go to Tom. Hey, Tom, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hi, Lars. Uh, First-time caller. I've never called a talk show before. Well, thank you. I'm 58 years old, and I have been traveling America for 44 years, been in every state but Hawaii. Sounds like fun. You should write a song about it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I can tell you what's happening here, bud. Uh, We have slipped very badly downhill. It used to be the majority ruled, and now it's the squeaky wheel gets grease. It's time for the silent moral majority to speak up. There's never a better time in our lives. You got a government event where, where a Satanist is putting on his own little freak show? Everybody go and shout him down and make sure he knows that he's not welcome to come back. Or go in and, and, and shout a counter message. There was a young lady in the back of the room who shouted uh, her faith in Jesus Christ. Tom, I've never been one of those people who believes that shouting people down is the best way to get your point across, there are better ways. If you flood, if you flood that room when you know that they're going to have one of these Satan shows at the county commission doing the invocation, flood it with something positive and flood it with something that's, you know, I mean, since the vast majority of people in this country are Christians, flood it with a Christian message. Um, well, start singing I, Jesus I loves me in the back of the room. You, but, um, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but, uh, you know, it's it it's all it's all come down to the press and they want their news station 
to succeed and get most viewership. Um, peace is a great idea, but sensationalism certainly gets the attention. Then I'll tell you what, what would happen if a news organization said, we're going to show a message that's all American? That's going to resonate with more than half the country. The Lars Larson Show. Daisy was abandoned by her... Okay, it's a nice ride. It's going to happen. Stand by playback. I know. Lars. Real Red Meat Radio. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. For my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, let's be honest with immigrants who deserve better than what you're offering them. Don't welcome immigrants if you plan to reject them. If you keep pushing your bigoted H.R. 2 bill, then also pass this bill. I've taken the liberty of drafting it for you. It removes the Statue of Liberty, our largest symbol that tells people to come here. This is who you are, removing the fabric of America. So I want to know which Republican who supports and voted for H.R. 2 will introduce this bill. That is the kind of insanity that we're up against, folks. That is Gen Z, the very first Gen Z member of Congress, freshman Democrat Representative Max Frost. And no, I guessed at first he must be from New York or California, maybe Illinois. No, he's actually from the state of Florida. So I have a feeling he probably doesn't get together with most of the rest of the members of Congress from Florida. But the guy is literally saying that if we decide that we're a nation of laws, that we have borders, that we enforce our borders, as we did, for four full years under Donald J. Trump, that if we've decided to give up those borders and people have just been pouring in illegally, that if you pass a bill, H.R. 2 is the Republican response saying, why don't we pass this bill? We'll have some immigration reform, but what we have to do first is stop this massive inflow, this invasion of America by illegal aliens, that this Max Frost character, member of Congress and Gen Z freshman from Florida, is saying, then tear down the Statue of Liberty. That's the kind of insane thinking that's going on on the left side of the aisle. Glad to be with you and glad always to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, I'll put you first. And if you want to vote in our Twitter poll or X poll, you can find the X poll at Lars Larson Show on X. You can also find it on my website. Believe it or not, member of Congress Jim Jordan has pointed out that the federal government is flagging as potential criminals people who buy Bibles, shop at sporting goods stores like Bass Pro Shops, and the federal government has actually reached out to banks and said to the banks, we want you to identify any of your customers who involve themselves in financial transactions with terms like MAGA or Trump or buy Bibles or buy firearms. So should citizens who buy Bibles, rifles, or sporting goods end up on the terror watch list? I'd say no to that. Might find a naysayer who says yes to it. You'll find the question at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Let's go to uh, Jeff. Hey, Jeff, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind on this Conspiracy Theory Thursday? So my what? question is, um, like you talked on Tuesday with the uh, 
my social media cannot be sued, correct? Well, yeah, to a large extent, social media can't be sued uh, because of Section 230 of the the communications law. And what it was intended to do, it was a a deal, if you want to think of it this way. Uh, What I do here in my talk show is considered publishing, even though we, we don't involve ourselves with paper or dead trees. But newspapers publish, books are published, magazines are published. But we control what's in the show. I control what's in the show, who comes on, what they say, all the rest of that. Uh, and as a publisher, if I were to defame somebody or let you defame somebody on my show, I could be sued for what you say. But if you get on social media, on, uh, on X or uh, Meta or Facebook, if you get on any of that social media and you say something that's defamatory or damaging to somebody, Section 230 says, because those social media have promised to be not publishers, but platforms. A platform is supposed to be a place where essentially anything and everything gets said. It involves, in the case of X and and Meta, billions and billions of postings every single week. Uh, that if you, they, they made the argument that if you, if they could get sued, For anything that's defamatory or damaging, they don't have a practical way. I think that's a lie, but they don't have a practical way of keeping damaging and defamatory things off their sites. So to make social media work, the government agreed to give them this protection in Section 230 and say, essentially, you can't be sued, uh, civil suits against those entities because of something that's, you know, damaging or defamatory that's put on them. And uh, and you're right. They essentially can't be sued. There might be some creative lawsuits, but in general, they're protected from it. And as a result, they're allowed to operate because, Jeff, the minute they lose that protection, and I think they should lose that protection because of the way they behaved, their insurance carriers and every company like that has insurance are going to come to them and say, you are now exposed to potentially billions of dollars of lawsuits. If you want to continue your insurance, here's what the premiums are going to be. And it would put them out of business in a heartbeat. Yeah, well, but I'm constantly getting shut down, you know. Oh, yeah, they'll they'll shut down. But that's because of their politics. See, Facebook, or now called Meta, they will pick and choose. They'll shut down conservatives like you. They've shut down me before. Twitter, under old management, shut down me at least once for saying the term snowflake. And it was a reference to a liberal lady uh, who was behaving like a snowflake. And I said so, and I got banned from then Twitter. And, and you say they, they'll shut you down. But that's because of their political uh, beliefs, I believe. So these are outfits like Meta who say, oh, we tried to safeguard against child pornography and drug dealing and all kinds of other nefarious activities, and then claim that somehow they have no way to be able to keep things like coyote ads off Meta which makes no sense, uh, unless you think so, it makes sense. So so in other words, like, there's really nothing I can do. Like, I can't file a lawsuit. I mean, I mean, nope. I live in Vancouver, Washington. I can't, like, obviously the congresswoman here in, in this area is, is a joke. So, like, there's nothing I can do, correct? No, there's not. No, because if they behaved like a platform you know uh, jeff i think the easiest way to imagine what a platform would be in physical terms if you lived in a small town and the town said in our town square we're going to put a a blackboard up and we're going to put chalk out and anybody who wants to can write anything they want up there that's a platform where there's no now if you have a newspaper or a, a talk radio show and you say lars do you control what's on your show yeah 
Somebody tries to swear, we knock that call out, nobody hears it. Uh, actually, you can hear it. You can't hear it on the radio. You can hear it on the stream because the FCC says you can't let swear words and other things on the air. So we're required to to control what we put on the air. And that makes us a publisher. If I were a platform, uh, I'd be able to say anything I want. I could defame. Well, I you know, but but to to be able to allow defamatory material on social media and then say, oh, I'm sorry, you've got defamatory information on there. But there, nobody's allowed to sue you for putting it up there because the government says those outfits get special protection. Does that make any sense to you? Well, what what about free speech? Because my, my wife... Well, here's the thing, Jeff. People misunderstand the First Amendment. The First Amendment says yeah. the government can't control your speech. You know who can right. control your speech? Your boss, uh, a newspaper, a talk radio host. Yeah. I mean, I can say... If you're going to say those things, and I think they're defamatory, I'm going to make sure that call never gets on the air. Why? Because I don't want to get sued. So I'm expected to control what goes on. The First Amendment does not say you have a right to have everything you say published in a newspaper or even published on talk radio. That's the bottom line. I'm glad to be with you. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you and always glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. First, if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. If you want to send an email instead, talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can always vote in our poll on X. Questions there every day at Lars Larson Show. You can also find it on my website at LarsLarson.com. If you're like me, you're more than a little bit frustrated with your own political party, the one that you identify with. You see, I'm a conservative first, a Republican second, and frankly, I think the Republicans are dropping the ball when it comes to spending on Capitol Hill. They're going for deals that will keep the government in operation, but we're not gaining any ground when it comes to fighting against a rapidly rising tide of debt. You know, $34 trillion and counting. Joe Biden plans to add about $2 trillion to our debt this year through the $2 trillion deficit, which is double the size of the deficit last year. So I thought we'd talk about that with Brandon Arnold, who is executive vice president of the National Taxpayers Union. Brandon, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Lars. What's happening on Capitol Hill and why aren't we getting something done? I realize we only have one house of the the two houses and we don't have the presidency, but you'd think Republicans could accomplish something to hold this uh, this rising tide of spending back. Well, we have a lot of problems going on on Capitol Hill right now, and that's going <laughs> to shock absolutely nobody. Exactly. Uh, but I think the biggest one is the fact that Republicans can't act in a unified fashion. I'm speaking primarily of House Republicans, they squabble over absolutely everything. And if they don't act in a unified fashion, then it has 
a huge impact on the negotiations. Speaker Johnson cannot go into a room with Chuck Schumer and expect to negotiate a solid deal if Schumer knows that when he brings that back to his conference on the House side, that he's not going to be able to get it passed. So the first thing Republicans need to do is set their priorities so that he has some leverage in those conversations. Because you're saying that when individual Republicans, I think there's a group of 14 right now that are objecting to the current deal, but they're wanting not just to hold back the increased spending, but a bunch of other issues that that they see as important and probably I see as important, too. So how do we make that happen, both a unified front when it comes to spending, but still allowing, uh, you know, Republicans who feel strongly about certain issues to say we want these other things addressed as well, because they see the budget negotiations as their opportunity to do that? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a leverage point. But the first thing you have to do is prioritize what you want. Is that the border? Is that a reduction in spending? Is that starting to use the spending, the appropriations process, I should say, to roll back portions of Bidenomics, which I think is incredibly important? You're not going to get everything. You know, you have to be a little bit realistic when you go into these conversations because you are talking about a narrow majority in the House, whereas the Senate is controlled by Democrats. And the White House, obviously, is is Joe Biden. And you're talking about ripping into his agenda, which absolutely needs to be done. But we're not going to be able to eviscerate it. We can score some strategic victories. We can help American businesses, American taxpayers, the broad economy here. But we can't do it all in one fell swoop. So if we approach this thinking that we're going to get everything that we want, then we're going to be deeply disappointed. Yeah, I, I get that point. But then what do you do when you say, well, is our is our current spending an existential threat to the United States? I believe it is. So solve that one. Oh, but the border is also an existential threat to the United States. Okay, we need to get that one, too. And then the possibility of getting into, say, a shooting war with, say, uh, the, uh, you know, with the Chinese, that's another existential threat to the United States. Even if you only take the big ones, you got to get at least those three, don't you? Well, I would be very impressed and satisfied if we were able to get three victories of that magnitude. (laughs) I just don't think that's realistic. (laughs) Unfortunately, what's happened over the past several presidencies, Republican and Democratic alike, is that we've ceded more and more authority to the executive branch. Congress has become less and less influential when it comes not just to foreign policy, which has traditionally been the territory of the president, but but certainly the the border and immigration, uh, but even decisions that are made by federal agencies. Those federal agencies have become extremely powerful as Congress has become, uh, sorry to use a pejorative here, but they've become lazy. They've sourced out all of these functions, these legislative functions, to the federal bureaucracy controlled by the president. And now we need to rein it in. We need to rein it in whether Biden's president or whether a Republican is president. But it needs to start here. And as that happens, then you'll have fewer targets that you need to fire at during these types of proceedings. But until we do that, we have the FTC running amok. We have the IRS running amok, the Department of Labor. The list goes on and on. And those are victories that need to be, well, they need to be on our list of priorities as we go into these negotiations. We're not going to get all of these victories. I'm talking to Brendan Arnold, who's executive vice president of the National Taxpayers Union. Is the Chevron case or the case that will affect the Chevron doctrine just heard by the Supreme Court yesterday, is that, is that part of it? Because if that case slaps back at the deep state and says, you agencies do not have the authority that you've been pretending to have for the last 40 years, but we may not hear about that till June. But is that a piece of getting this solved? 
That's a piece of it. That's a huge piece of it. It's not the only piece. I think it needs to also happen through the legislative process. Just the function of writing bills in a manner that is more prescriptive, that gives less wiggle room to the administration, I think would go a long way to addressing this issue. But even when they do that, it's not sufficient because the administration, as you say, has become so, uh, you know, it's become such an entity of its own that you see even calling back these uh, unspent COVID dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars went out the door to state and local governments. They haven't spent over a hundred billion of these dollars. That should be brought back to the U.S. Treasury, right? If you can't spend yeah. it in this window, forget about it. You know, we, we have a huge debt. Um, but they're, they're trying to use every little bit of wiggle room that they can to get to allow the states and local governments to keep these funds. We don't have the votes to but, pass. But hold on. One uh, thing in particular, Brandon, when you say they, the left wants to do that. I don't know of any conservatives who say we want to leave all these dollars with the states and the counties where we sent them out, supposedly to meet an emergency, the emergency now being over, give the excess funds back. The left wants it out there because I think they expect to be able to use those dollars politically. I don't see any evidence the conservatives are, are doing are are taking that same approach. Do you? No, I, I agree with you there, and that's a good clarification. I appreciate that. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's, it's a big fight where conservatives are having to stand up and say, listen, you know, we pushed way too much money out the door in the first place. But if you haven't spent it at this point, this money needs to come back. They are mincing words and saying, well, technically we have until the end of this year to spend the money. But, you know, if, as long as we make a commitment to spend the money in the future, these dollars can be carried for, forward in perpetuity, essentially, which is just ludicrous. But until you start to rein those agencies in and specifically prohibit that type of shenanigans, it's just going to get worse and worse. You, you know, it's funny, Brandon, I've spent my whole life in the private sector. I could never imagine that in the private sector. When I worked for TV, they would occasionally, if we had to travel, especially a long ways away, like Russia one time, um, they'll advance you some money. But if you come home from the assignment and you say, gee, I only spent half the money you gave me, but I think I'll hang on to it and I'll see if I can find something to spend it on in the next year or two. Nobody in the private sector would tolerate that garbage, would they? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, the federal government operates on a completely different set of rules and standards, and they're always right until proven wrong. <laughs> so, and it's incredibly costly and difficult. You know, you see them go after businesses left and right, trying to block mergers and acquisitions, trying to regulate businesses, stop them from what they're doing. And you have to stop and take the federal government to court, they have no problem spending taxpayer dollars to drag you into court or be dragged into court to fight these protracted battles. But meanwhile, the private businesses that are affected are going bankrupt. They're unable to actually provide the goods and services that they're set up to do. So, yeah, I mean, the, the playing field is tilted so heavily in the favor of the federal government. It's unlike any other entity that we deal with, certainly not like anything in the private sector. You know, it almost makes you think that maybe the government is there for us to serve them and not for them to serve us. Brandon, thank you very much. That's Brandon Arnold, Executive Vice President of the National Taxpayers Union. I'm glad to get your calls and naysayers go first at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You can vote in our poll on X. You'll find that at Lars Larson Show and our website at LarsLarson.com.
Lars Larson Show. Whether you like it or not, with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Can you imagine how much trouble the Biden administration, the Congress, could get us all in if they managed to foist a carbon tax on Americans? Look, I can already see it in my home state of Washington. Uh, gasoline prices up 50 cents a gallon, all attributable to one of these carbon tax schemes. And now if the federal government wants to do it, you can just imagine where they might be likely to take that. The guy who's fighting that battle is Grover Norquist, president of Americans for Tax Reform, who joins me now. Hey, Grover, welcome back. Absolutely. Good to be with you. So tell me about the uh, Prove It Act. What is this thing? Well, it is a carbon tax on training wheels. It is the paperwork necessary to do before you put in a national carbon tax. So the politicians supporting it, the Democrats, the organizations supporting it, all are on records wanting a carbon tax, as is the president wants a carbon tax and the the vice president wants a carbon tax. Uh, But this is just doing a study to see when various products, how much, quote unquote, carbon is in them, right? I mean, how how much carbon dioxide goes into the air, like when you breathe or when a product is made. Um, Okay, why would we do that? because then they can do one of two things. They could tax a product based on how much carbon dioxide is used in making it when it comes into the country. Uh, That's a tariff. That's not a tax on you. Okay. Um, Of course, you pay it when you buy a product and all the domestic prop, uh, uh, the domestic things that are made that compete with that product, they now get to raise the prices. So you will pay higher prices for things made in America and higher prices for things made overseas. It doesn't do us any good in terms of uh, overseas versus American because prices just go up. It's not helpful for America. But um, but now we've got a carbon tax on the border, which they pretend you aren't paying. Well, but we've got all that data. So the next step is to do a carbon tax on everything because you don't want that monopoly rents to be earned by all these evil American businesses, which the Democrats created with the carbon tax. So now everyone will pay a carbon tax. And my goodness, the carbon tax isn't high enough to make people stop using energy. We need to raise it. Well, the goal of the Democrats. And and Grover, that's the part that people ought to understand. They'll start small and say, well, it's not going to make a big difference. Well, if your point is to get people to reduce their use of anything that involves carbon, which is everything in the world. I mean, food has carbon in it, you know, or is produced with carbon fuels for the most part. Concrete, you know, has has an energy consequence, and that'll be carbon. So when you get, there, there's almost nothing in existence that doesn't have a carbon component. So the price of everything goes up. That's really yep. what they want to push. And, and then say, if it goes up high enough, people will just stop buying things. And then uh, our economy will slow to a, to a halt, and, uh, but we'll be carbon neutral. They need more 
money to feed the Democratic Party interest groups. They can't get it by raising the corporate income tax because they found when they cut the corporate income tax, it actually raised a great deal of money. So you go take the income tax back up again, it hurts the economy. You won't make very much money, if any at all, raising the corporate income tax. Well, that's not open to you. You can't really make more money raising the individual income tax. We've tried that. When you take the top rate down, we make more money, not less money. So uh, at, at, at the high rates of, of, of taxation, the cutting them actually gets you more money for the government. Raising them gets you less. They've tried both of those. Europe, Europe realizes they don't want high corporate taxes. They had lower corporate taxes than we did years ago. Their individual income taxes are not that much higher uh, than ours because they realize you lose revenue. The only place to go is social security taxes, wage taxes, Europe has that, and energy taxes. Those are the two big pots of gold. And who do they hit? The middle class directly. Europe is a tax hell for middle class people. It's not that bad for rich people. It's a, it's a middle class heck for uh, taxpayers in Europe because very high wage rate uh, taxes, that's, somehow that's different than income tax, looks a lot like the same to me, uh, and energy taxes, those things, that makes a difference in the United States and Europe. That's why Europe is slower than we are. They used to be 95% of our GDP. It's now down to 65%. A part of that's England leaving, but, but they've been shrinking as a compared to the United States because of their taxes on the middle class and on energy. And they want us to join them in stupid. So tell me this. I'm talking to Grover Norquist, who's president of Americans for Tax Reform. So Grover, does this thing have a snowball's chance of, of actually being acted on this year? Can the Republicans say, fine, we'll put it up, we'll vote it down, it'll die in the House, and that's that? Well, the bad actors on this are in the Senate. Uh, there's a senator from Louisiana, a senator from North Dakota. What do they do? Oh, they have oil. They, rate, they, they make oil there. And they get oil out of the ground. That This will temporarily allow them to get monopoly rents as the price of international oil goes up because of the tax on the import. And then they'll make money until the politicians go, ah, look at that, monopoly profits, and go steal it all. I don't know, it's very short-minded. I don't know these guys have not, not thought this through. But most of the people pushing it are not silly Republicans. That's two of them. The problem is very smart Democrats are pushing it in the Senate. But in the Senate, you get two, dem two stupid Republicans with all the Democratic senators, and you can pass them in 51 votes. And you see, the that, House, you see that happening this year in an election year, or will they push all of this off into 25? Well, remember, what we're voting on now is just a study. It's not a tax. Just a study. <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining things when I say all these people who've been planning on a carbon tax are doing a study that would be useful to pass a carbon tax but they're not going to pull the trigger on the carbon tax. I, I tend to think they will, but not this year. You're right. Not this election year in the house though. We have regularly passed three, four times a getting every single Republican with a one guy in Pennsylvania, not voting for us saying never, never, never a carbon tax. That has been very helpful. The Republicans are awake to this in the house, but a couple of bad votes in the Senate I hope we'll be able to stop this because even doing the study starts you down a slippery slope that 
could very well end up making us look like France, and that's a lousy place to be. Any idea how much money they would generate from this thing, at even initially when they, when they started out small, planning to get it bigger later the way they did with the federal income tax? Yeah, the federal income tax started at a top rate of 7. It's now up to about 37. Uh, and 7 is now less than the lowest rate. The highest rate is now less than the lowest rate in the United States. Uh, so the income tax does that. It, 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 there's no ends to what they could do with this. Look at how some states like California have taken the gas tax up. And that's just a variant of the carbon tax. And in Europe, they price themselves out of the market on energy, uh, you know, rent a car in Europe and try and, you know, fill it up with gas. First of all, it's so small, it doesn't take that much gas in it, but the gas that you do get, terribly expensive. And I'd be guessing there's, there's no limit to what they can do. Yeah, I looked at it this morning because I was looking at those protests a few days ago in Germany where all the farmers yes. are saying, if you take away our fuel subsidies, we're dead. And I looked up diesel and gasoline. It's about $2 more per gallon in a commodity that's a worldwide commodity. It should cost the same. The only difference is taxes, as Grover Norquist pointed out. Grover is president of Americans for Tax Reform. It's always a pleasure, Grover. Thanks very much. We'll get to your calls in a moment at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails. Talk at LarsLarson.com. Check out our Instagram feed and on social media. And you can always tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show. conversation and talk journalism at 866-HEY-LARS. There's no such thing as zero risk for sexual offending. The people exiting by the proposed criteria will be no more at risk for sexual offending than the millions of other men currently living in Washington state. Absolutely unbelievable. That is the statement of a guy by the name of Dr. Carl Hansen, and he's viewed as one of the top experts about sexual criminals in America. He's actually from Canada, but they say he's one of the leading researchers. And what's he talking about? He's talking about if you thought the crime problem wasn't bad enough already, where you've got police who can't arrest because they've been told not to, prosecutors who refuse to prosecute, courts that refuse to convict, and of course, prisons that governors keep turning loose criminals from instead of holding the criminals in prison. If you thought it was bad already, wait for it to get worse, because what Dr. Hansen was testifying to in that soundbite, he's testifying about a bill in Washington state that would allow sexual criminals, and these are level three sex offenders, and I'll get into the definition of that, let them out early. But he said something else in there that is absolutely outrageous. And he says, hey, by the time these level three sex offenders, the ones that are the worst of the worst of the worst, by the time they get out of custody, they are no more dangerous than every other man. In other words, all of us males, I happen to count myself in that minority group in America, we're about 49.5% of the population who is male. You know, I haven't changed gender or any of that nonsense. But he's saying 
every one of those males out there is simply a rapist waiting to happen and that you're just as dangerous as a released level three sex offender. Think on that for just a moment. But first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Thursday. We call this Conspiracy Theory Thursday, although I don't try to time what we talk about and when we talk about it based on whether or not it's Conspiracy Theory Thursday or not. But imagine this. You've got prison systems that are listening to so-called experts in psychology and psychiatry who are trying to say that, Every man out there in America is just a rape or a sex crime waiting to happen. That is absolutely outrageous. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. If you happen to disagree with me, that's okay. We call those naysayers. And naysayers on this program for more than a quarter century have always gone to the head of the list at 866-439-5277. And then I want to tell you about our poll on X. The poll on X, formerly Twitter, and this one's about as crazy as it comes. Although, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, they are coming after you. If you're a conservative American, they are coming after you. Should citizens who have bought Bibles, rifles, or say a slingshot at a sporting goods store, should you end up on a terrorist watch list? And of course, I'm going to say no to that, but guess what? Jim Jordan, member of Congress, uh, has come out with information about the fact that federal authorities, meaning the federal DOJ, the FBI, other agencies, went out and told financial institutions, your banks, they said, if people are out there buying Bibles, if they are buying rifles, if they are buying things at Dick's Sporting Goods or Cabela's or Bass Pro Shop, then we want to tag them and flag them because they are potential risks to the United States. I think this is absolutely insane. And if you say, well, where'd you get that? Well, Representative Jim Jordan, member of Congress, and he's part of the House Judiciary Committee. He says these Americans were tagged as possible violent extremists with zero due process or even notification that they were being categorized this way. And, of course, this goes across property rights, free speech rights, consent to their government activities, and even religious exercise, because one of the things that the federal government wanted to track, have these people bought Bibles? Well, I'm guessing that puts Tina and me on the list because we bought more than a few in the last few years. We tend to give them away to our friends and family members, as well as keeping a number of copies for ourselves. So should citizens who buy Bibles, rifles, pistols, or sporting goods, even a slingshot at a sporting goods store, should you end up on a terrorist watch list? I'm sure we're going to get a few callers on that. I'd love to hear the naysayers who think that the federal government which was asking for surveillance of American messages on private payment apps, apps like Zelle uh, or Venmo, that if you did any of those kinds of exchanges of money, you may have ended up on the government's radar. And if you say, not as far as I can tell, that may be part of the point. The fact that the government didn't even have to notify you, you have been placed on a terrorist watch list because you bought that Bible and that slingshot over at Cabela's or Bass Pro Shops. This is absolutely out of control, and it is certainly not the kind of government that American, real American citizens consent to be governed by. You can find the poll on X, at Lars Larson Show, and you can also find it on my website at LarsLarson.com. But I want to get back to Dr. Carl Hansen, and I'm going to ask Joel, my producer, to play that soundbite again in a moment. But I want you to listen for two things. Number one, 
He's talking about level three sex offenders. In this case, they are described in the law as these offenders pose a potential high risk to the community and are a threat to reoffend if provided that opportunity. You might even want to know, well, Lars, what's a level one or level two? Level one is defined as low risk of repeating the offense. Level two is moderate risk of repeating the offense. And level three, high risk of repeat offenses and a threat to public safety. This guy is saying if the state legislature in Washington state changes the law and liberalizes the grounds under which a convicted level three sex offender can walk out of custody, why they'll be no more dangerous than all those other men. And what he's doing is he's condemning every man in society by saying you're just as dangerous as the most dangerous of the dangerous of sex offenders. If you think I'm wrong, listen to his words and tell me where. There's no such thing as zero risk for sexual offending. The people exiting by the proposed criteria will be no more at risk for sexual offending than the millions of other men currently living in Washington state. It's interesting, too, to me, with all this talk of equity lately, he doesn't mention women, as though women never commit sexual offenses. And in fact, in the state of Washington, where Dr. Hansen is testifying and where they're considering making more liberal guidelines to let level three sex offenders out of custody, let me point out that one of the most notorious rapists is a woman by the name of Mary Kay Letourneau. A child, a teacher who in her mid thirties raped a 13 year old boy. Now you might point out, well, later on they got married and they had kids and all that stuff. Doesn't matter. She was a 35 year old adult woman who raped a child. So if you say, Dr. Hansen, that the only people we have to worry about is all those men, you know, because they're just a walking rape case waiting to happen. Well, how about all the women as well? Except that I think he's wrong. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I don't have his credentials. But if you're telling me level three sex offenders are just as likely to do their crime again as every other man in society, Dr. Hansen, I think you're crazy. Back in just a moment. Glad to get your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. The Lars Larson Show. person should ever have to worry 